Yeah, good morning again. We're really glad you're here. And it's, it's fun. Labor Day is always fun because we have so many new faces. We get a lot of visitors from the valley, and uh, some of them we put to work immediately. Thank you, Nina and Jeff. That was absolutely spot on for what we needed this morning. Thank you for that. It's Labor Day. Who came here from the valley? Just not to, not to call you out or embarrass you. No, I'm just kidding. I come from the valley too. But. So it's Labor Day, and for many of us, it's an opportunity to come and, and get away, right? It's interesting that what do we do on Labor Day weekend? <laughs> Work in the yard. We rest on Labor Day. Did you know? So Labor Day is this American holiday that not many of us really know what it is about. Um, did you know that Labor Day is a direct result of the fall of humanity in Genesis 2? Did you know that? The fact that we have Labor Day is a direct result. Oh, how are we getting there? No, you can't have that preview yet. Hey, Taylor, we hit the B button on the keyboard. Cheaters. I'm going to take control up here for a minute. Thank you, Taylor. What's going on here? We're going to look at some scriptures, but I wanted to... All right, hold on there. Hey, bud, you have at least like four more years before you get to teach up here, okay? You have to be able to say more than four words. He can say up, hat, and hot, and that's it. So I don't think that's enough to teach just yet. So Labor Day. Labor Day is a direct result of the fall of humanity, and it's also a sense, and this might seem a little counterintuitive, Labor Day is also a sign of American underachievement. Did you know that? Labor Day is a sign, an expression of American underachievement. Why do I say that? Well, originally, does anybody even know the story of how Labor Day came to be? Anybody? It's just like, well, let's go to the beach. Let's not labor. So I went and looked it up last night. Because <laughs> I was like, what is Labor Day all about? What I discovered... The, what they can tell, according to History.com, the History Channel website, Labor Day, the first Labor Day was around 1894, and it became a federal holiday because of all these strikes that were going on in relation to the Industrial Revolution and railroad workers. And so these workers were working basically, I don't know, what, 12, 14, 16 hours a day, seven days a week. And they went on strike, and it got violent. There were riots. There were deaths. There were a couple dozen people killed in this one particular strike. And so the president at the time declared that we would have this day once a year that would kind of remind us that it's okay to rest. Isn't that interesting? But you know where the original Labor Day comes from? Why do I say Labor Day is a sign of American underachievement? Because Americans take one Labor Day a year. God said take one Labor Day a week. Now this is not going to be a Sabbath message because I want to go to a level deeper than that. But I found that interesting that the original Labor Day 
happened the seventh day of creation. God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit look out upon all they created and they said, this is so good. And then they create humans and they say, they are very good. And then what do they do? They pull back and just enjoy what they've created. And that was the initial invitation for humanity. So what we're going to talk about this morning is we're going to talk a little bit about work, we're going to talk a little bit about relationships, we're going to talk about identity, and we're going to talk about how we get those so screwed up and Jesus came to get our heads right. And in the spirit of Labor Day, you'll notice if you've heard me teach before, one of the things I like to do is not necessarily just put everything out there and connect all the dots for you. I like to make you work for it a little bit. So I'm going to walk us through a few different places of Scripture that speak to this issue, and I'm going to expect and assume that you are able to connect some dots, some that I'm connecting and some that I'm not even able to connect, and say, all right, what are you noticing about this idea of work and identity and rest? And what does it mean for us? We know that, like I just said, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, you can press that B button again, They pulled back to enjoy what they had created, their artistic expression. And look here in Genesis 2. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, when no plant of the field was yet in the earth, and no herb of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain upon the earth. Some of you are like, yeah, I know what that feels like. And there was no one to till the ground, but a stream would rise from the earth and water the whole face of the ground. Interesting. Have you ever noticed that line? There was no one to till the ground. And God says, let's make someone to do something about this. So the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. What is it seeming to tell us about the very first thing that God created this human for? to till the ground. Okay? Verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden. Interesting. It didn't say, and the Lord God spoke to him in the Garden. It says that the man was taken from wherever he was created and placed in the Garden. To till it and to keep it. Those are important words. Hold on to those words in your mind. To till it and to keep it. When's the last time you tilled and kept something? Some of you are like, I don't really know. (laughs) To till it and to keep it. So that's what God puts this human in the garden for. So the man gave names to all cattle and to the birds of the air and to every animal of the field. But for the man, there was not found a helper. Now, when I read this word helper, something inside you should go, eh. Women. This is not the time, but at some point we're going to talk about what these Hebrew words really represent. And let me just say it's a lot more loaded than just helper. But that'll be uh, for another time. All right? So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. That sounds familiar. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, 
he made into a woman and brought her to the man. We're all familiar with this story, right? Most of us. What I want to draw our attention to is, are we familiar with our reaction to what happens next and how the story of Adam and Eve is really the story of all of us? And it's why we have Labor Day. So Adam sees Eve, who isn't named Eve yet, by the way, and he says, this at last, as he's been looking at and naming all these animals, he's like, um, he's, he's finding some, okay, I'm going to be careful what I say here, but Adam just realizes that this idea of companionship that's wired into him, because he's made in the image of a God that is Father and Son and Holy Spirit, this, this longing for companionship is not to be met from a hippopotamus or from a hyena, or what's another H animal, just to keep it going, but... Um, or a spider, or an antelope, but he says, at last, Eve, this woman, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, this one shall be called woman, for out of man this one was taken. We're going somewhere with this. So, you know the story. God plants these beautiful things in the garden. There's two trees, and we've talked about this before. There's a tree of, what's the good one? It's okay for them to eat out of. There's the tree of life, and there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the talking serpent comes in with legs and tempts them and says, did God really say? And Adam and Eve, well, first of all, Eve, and there's so much going on here that we don't have time for, but someday we'll take a year and unpack Genesis 2 and 3. But you know the story. Eve eats from the tree, and it says that her eyes were open, and that the man's eyes were open. They realized what? That they were naked. And so they hid from God. So God comes looking for them, which is an interesting idea of an omniscient, omnipresent God coming to find Adam and Eve, which is not an indicator that God didn't know physically where they were. God's saying, there's something broken in this relationship. We had walked together in the garden. Now all of a sudden you're distant from me. Why are you hiding from me? And then one of the most misunderstood passages of the Bible, God approaches them and how many of you have heard that God's response after the fall, after eating from the tree, is to curse them and to curse the ground and curse the serpent. Have you heard that? Do you know that that's not what it says at all? That God never curses them? Look at what it says. God speaks to the serpent first and then to the woman, and God says, I will greatly increase your pangs in childbearing. In pain, this word pain here, is actually the same word that's used when God describes the result of Adam's choice. And it's better translated in emotional sorrow, in trauma. It's not physical pain. God's not saying I'm anti-epidural. There are really Christians that believe that it's not okay to have an epidural because they believe that God is saying that it's God's desire for women to have pain in childbirth. The word pain has to do with emotional sorrow and grief. 
your desire, oh, and this pangs word, I will greatly increase your pangs, that word simply means hard work. It means hard work. Yet your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Wow, we stepped into a loaded passage this morning. Heavens to Betsy. Let me say two things about this, and then we'll bring it around to the rest of our story. That word desire can also be translated turning. Your turning will be towards your husband, and he shall rule over you. Now let me ask a question. Is, is this last line saying this is how God wants it to be? Is God saying, men, I want you to domineer your wife? Or is God simply describing the reaction that comes out of the man's sense of shame? that he will long for control over his wife. Is God describing or prescribing? We have to know the difference there. It makes all the difference in the world. So God says, Eve, your turning will be towards your husband. Now what about to Adam? And to the man, God said, because you have listened to the voice of your wife, men, be careful, don't make any jokes here, and have eaten of the tree about which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of who? Because of you. Not because of me. Not because I'm vindictive and have some part of me that has to kill you. Cursed is the ground because of what you did. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. That word toil is the same word used for Eve. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. Stay with me. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. What on earth is going on here? Let's ask a question. What were Adam and Eve originally designed, intended, and included into from the very beginning? What was their original place of belonging and their original source of identity? To till the ground, and even before that actually, which we're going to see in a moment in another scripture, to be in relationship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Isn't it interesting that as soon as this sense of shame and angst and anxiety is introduced into Eve's being and into Adam's being, where do they now turn for their sense of identity? Where does Eve turn? Eve turns towards Adam's side. Where did Eve come from in a physical sense? She came from Adam's rib. So she thinks in her confusion that that is her source. And so she turns back to Adam for her sense of security, assurance. Let me ask you this. Women, is Eve the only woman that has ever turned to a relationship for their sense of security and peace and comfort? She is, right? Point to someone in the room that you know does that. We're not that kind of church. We do that all the time, don't we, women? 
How many of you gauge, find yourself gauging your sense of popularity, your sense of self-esteem, your sense of okayness with yourself and the world based on how the important people in your life feel about you and even the unimportant people in your life feel about you? Is it possible that that's a result of shame? Now, what about the man? Where did Adam think that he came from? Where did Adam turn to find his source of identity? He turned back to the ground, didn't he? Now, let's leave the question with the women because I don't know if the guys would answer honestly. No, guys, I know you would. Women, have you ever met a man who finds his sense of identity and assurance and security from what he produces, from his work, from his career, from his vocation? Have you ever seen that trip them up? Is this interesting to anyone else? That the story of Adam and Eve is the story of all of us? And it brings us around to Labor Day, doesn't it? Is it possible that there was some angst, some shame, some sense of I don't know who I am that drove the uber productivity and overachievement of Americans to run ourselves into the ground to need a day called Labor Day? Guys, are any of you getting upset at me because you're saying, wait, how dare you come frontal, full frontal at my sense of who I am? Don't you know what I've done? Don't you know what letters are behind my name? Isn't it interesting how closely for us guys our sense of self-worth and confidence and security is attached to what we do and what we produce and what we achieve? Now, am I trying to say that work and achievement and productivity are bad things? No. Because, well, we'll come around to that in a couple minutes. But just hold this verse in your mind real fast as we look at kind of what I think God wants to say about this whole thing. And then I want to share two final thoughts. This is John 1, 9 through 13. Actually, these kind of got a little messed up. So, um, burnt, burnt, burnt. We're going the wrong way. Hey, so if you haven't noticed yet, are they just going back and forth? There we go. I was going to make a really bad joke earlier about how the only thing polished about our church is the floor. If you haven't noticed that, that um, we don't pride ourselves necessarily on being well put together, but we do believe God meets us here, which is fun. So, John 1 is the beginning. We have this thing where John says, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God and the Word was with God. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have this Word that John refers to Jesus as. And then a few verses later it says, the true light, this Word, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world came into being through Him. Yet the world did not know Him. He came to what was his own, Adam and Eve, you, me, the Pharisees, every human that's ever existed. It just says, everything came into being through him. 
He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. Another way to translate that word accept is recognize. They did not recognize him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. That word power. Some translations say he gave the right. Some translations say he gave the authority. The Greek word for that word power, it's this word exousia, which means out of their being. This is what this passage is saying to me. Jesus came to show us that we have always from the beginning, ultimately, primarily, belonged to God. And that that is the ultimate truth about us. That we are children of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And apparently this guy named Isaiah... Remember Mike had a word a few minutes ago, a little bit ago, about come and drink? Wasn't that the word, Mike? Huh. Mike, it's probably just coincidence. That's called sarcasm. Everyone who thirsts, this, this man Isaiah, this prophet, had this vision of what the world would look like one day when everybody understands their relationship to God and their identity. In Isaiah 55, look at this world that Isaiah describes. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. Thank you, Mike. And you who have no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food, sustaining food, real food. Incline your ear and come to me, God says. Listen so that you may live. Isn't that an interesting picture of people coming to buy things who don't have money? What does that say about our system of your worth is determined by your work? What does that say about our system that says, look it, if you don't have the goods, you don't get the goods? How many of you have felt that in a certain arena of life? I just don't have what it takes. How many of you have ever felt yourself thinking that, saying that. I just don't have what it takes. I'm not enough. And yet apparently in this economy, God says, hey, if you're thirsty, come and get it. Oh, you don't think you're enough? Guess what? I am. And I say you are. And what about work? Did you notice that Somebody is still baking bread? Somebody's still milking cows? Somebody's still making food? Somebody's still working? 
but apparently it comes from a different place in their hearts and identity. Now how does this tie into John chapter 1? For as the rain and snow come down from heaven, this is a few verses later, and do not return there until they have watered the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word... Hmm, who might that be talking about? Is Siri listening? Giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word, John chapter 1, that goes out from my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and succeed in the thing for that which I sent it. In other words, when my Son comes to give the true light to all humanity, reminding them and showing them that they ultimately belong to me, that they don't have to find their sense of worth and security in their relationships or in their job or their productivity or their bank account, when they remember they belong to me, the world will be turned right side up, but first it'll have to be turned upside down. Now what about this curse that came upon the ground? This is the last part of Isaiah's picture in 55. For you shall go out in joy when this word comes. You shall be led back in peace. Not striving. Not earning. Not attaining. The mountains and the hills before you shall burst into song and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Is this the same picture that we see in Genesis of God saying the earth is going to fight against you, Adam, as you come to it for your identity? Or is this an earth that's finally set free and cooperates with God's goodness and the role of humans to till and keep the ground? Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall be to the Lord for a memorial, for a labor day, for a time to stop and pause and reflect on the goodness of what we've worked towards an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Is that a beautiful picture or what? That one day creation will cooperate? But the one of the things that goes along with that is that we have our priorities right, that we don't work to find our worth, but we work because of our worth. And it's a whole different thing. Now, just to be clear that I'm not anti-work and that God is an anti-work, we talked about Sabbath. Notice this. Work shall be done for six days, but the seventh day is a day of special rest, a holy occasion. You must not do any work on it wherever you live. It is a Sabbath to the Lord. How many of you are really familiar with this idea of Sabbath? You're like, yeah, I've heard that before. There's a guy named Justo Gonzalez, a Latin American theologian. You know what he pointed out that I thought was fascinating? Would you read this passage different if you're unemployed? Look at this passage, this verse, for a moment and imagine that you're unemployed. What does the very first line say? You shall work for the first six days. Interesting that when we take work for granted, we just focus on the Sabbath, the rest part, huh? But God's saying, you know what? No, you need to work. It doesn't say you have to have a job. It just says, 
you have to work. You have something to contribute. I created you to till and to keep and to create and to produce and to cultivate. But don't find the core of your identity there because it won't be found there. Last thing, and then we'll let the youth go. Now, this is absolutely fascinating. Now, the man, good thing the kids are all gone. Now, the man knew his wife Eve, and that just means what? He knew her name. They were Facebook friends. He knew her. So they, she accepted his Facebook friend request and then a baby came. Magic! It's amazing! <laughs> yeah, the new story. Now the man knew his wife Eve. So Adam and Eve were intimately related and she conceived and bore Cain saying, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. Isn't that fascinating that she says, God helped us do this. Next she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a tiller of the ground. Where have you heard those words till and keep before? They get it, don't they? But they also don't get it. Can I tell you something really cool? Do you know what Cain's name means? Cain's name means possession. It means striving and it means to acquire. Is that a picture of how Cain operated? If you know the story? If you don't know the story, go read Genesis 4. It's sad and fascinating and tragic and enlightening. Cain's name means acquire, possess, and strive. Hmm. How many of us have found ourselves living out of that name and identity before? Cain's a chip off the old block from his dad, isn't he? Now, do you know what Abel's name means? Abel's name means breath. Abel's name means breath. How hard are you working to breathe right now? How much effort and energy are you putting forth to breathe in air through your nostrils and let it out through your mouth? Or are you simply breathing because you've been given a gift of identity and life from the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Isn't it interesting also that they both work, they both are occupied with something, they both have things they give their hands to, but is it possible that the thing that made the difference was the center out of which they did that? Is it a center of trying to find something? or a center of knowing who you really are. Hmm. Fabulous point. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to go there in a minute. Thank you. Notice the reason Eve names Cain Cain is because she says, I have produced a man with the help of the Lord. And she names him possession as in, I own him. This is my possession. Now, there's a whole lot of dynamics we <laughs> will not go into right now in regards to that. But absolutely, Betty. 
as a woman, it's not just your side-to-side relationships. How much of how you process your sense of self-worth has to do with how your kids turned out. All right, Nina, and then we're going to hear Jeff's word again. A good picture to leave you all with. A box of dusty trophies. <laughs> this doesn't hold sway in how I feel about myself. Yeah, and what are, what are those trophies for you that maybe need to be left in the garage <laughs> so that you can relate out of a place of rest or work out of a place of rest? And if you've already taken steps in this, then wonderful. Pray for the rest of us. Um, really quick for me, Spending five years almost in China, the first two and a half years, you know, they were spent doing for the Lord, stumbling over Mandarin characters and tones. Yeah, that was good for my sense of self-esteem. What do you do? Uh, I suck at Chinese. (laughs) Oh, okay. Good on you. Next. (laughs) Not a good conversation starter. But it did something to me because I had to find a deeper grounding for who I was. So, Jeff, will you repeat your word and then we'll, we'll... facilitate and absolutely so what we're going to do I'm going to pray for us and then over on this side of the room uh, under the scoreboard which is appropriate and not ironic we'll call it um, under the scoreboard we'll we'll have some people we have a handful of people that are just kind of always up for praying and Coastland's family you know who you are so if you wouldn't mind kind of positioning yourself over there for anybody that wants prayer and Jeff will be over there um, for the rest of you, I would invite you to look at all those goodies over there. It's, it's kind of the raw materials of communion. And uh, so we're going to invite ourselves to just con- connect a little bit longer. We have probably about five or eight minutes before the kids will be released and the chaos will ensue. So go ahead and just make your way back and caffeinate again and connect with some people. Get to know each other and maybe you want to find someone else that you'd just like to have them pray for you. Please feel free to do that. So join me in prayer real quick, and then we'll, we'll split off and, and go from there. Yeah. God, thank you that you're a good, good father. Thank you that we can find our sense of identity as being a child of you, and that you've given us these beautiful relationships, these jobs, these careers, these vocations. You've called us, but ultimately, you've invited us to center that in our awareness of the fact that we belong to you. And so I ask that you would, here's my prayer, that you would show us what a deeper place of rest feels like in our minds, in our hearts, in our activity, that everything we do would be birthed out of and moved out of that place of rest. That we would relate out of a place of rest, we would work, we would play, all of it would be out of a place of rest because we belong to you. And I speak against that lie of those of us that say, I'm not enough, I'm not good enough, I don't have enough. And you would say, hey, I am. And you're in me. So Father, do work in our hearts. Remind us who we are. In Jesus' name. So yeah, I want to invite you, go ahead and stand, Jeff, and and a few others are going to make their way over. I'm sure I'm going to kind of volunteer Mike Fry to be over there and uh, anybody else. And just please make sure you get prayer if you want from someone. Otherwise, connect, get some food. We don't want to take any leftovers home. And we'll pack up in about 12 minutes. And enjoy your Labor Day.